Kia ora, good evening New Zealand. A very warm welcome from Toulouse. My name is Daniel McCarty. Welcome in to Rugby World Cup today. Brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. As I peer out our window in our hotel down towards the main civic square of this gorgeous city of Toulouse, the mess is being cleaned up because this city was alive and humming. And I'm sure all of the World Cup venues spattered around uh, this proud nation of France are going through something similar because the French played last night and their fans were out in extraordinaire, extraordinaire numbers. Whether it was fan villages, pubs, clubs, restaurants, the television screens had their eyes fixed on a game against Uruguay, a game I'm sure none of them expected to be as close as it was. Breathe out, France. A collective sigh could be felt almost at around 11 o'clock last night when the final whistle sounded as France held on. Yes, they held on against a very impressive Uruguayan side. The scoreboard reading 27 points to 12. It sounds comfortable. It was anything but. Welcome into the show. Coming up on today's edition, Andy Rowe, host of the Rugby Pod, uh, will join us in about 10 minutes' time. And our very special guest, we caught up with him a little bit earlier, Mr Andrew Mertens, former All Black Greats, who's doing a whole heap of work for the BBC. He will uh, be along with us now, residing in France. He's loving life. He's a busy boy. So we've got a great show for you lined up here on Rugby World Cup today, brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. And of course, speaking of New Zealand later tonight, 9 o'clock local time, 7 o'clock Saturday morning, they will take to the field at Stadium du Toulouse to take on Namibia in their second game of Rugby World Cup 2023. Our coverage starting at 6am. But let's reflect on what happened last night. Uh, we were in the privileged position to head on down to the fan village. Oh my word, what a place that is. Hugging nicely onto the main river that goes through this beautiful city. It was an enormous space. Two huge towering screens and uh, fans huddled around in there. What, you'd say 10,000 plus, I, I would say. I'm not, I'm not particularly good at uh, counting large numbers, but uh, the turnout was impressive. And food stalls, alcohol stalls, there was a great, warm, happy festival feeling throughout the game, even when it was a little bit of a battle. And it really was a battle. Uh, we'll try and experience this from a French perspective. We'll hear from some of the fans we caught up with. But what about the game themselves? Well, Uruguay gave France an absolute huge fright, scoring the first try of the game reasonably early on. Motivé, Etcheverry. Attention, attention, sur ce jeu. pied, c'est Jamidé qui a pu le prendre. Attention, Freitas. Oh, oh c'est laissé. Laissé de Freitas. Nicolas Freitas, joueur que. Nicolas Vitas, everything sounds better in French, doesn't it? Just, yes, Uruguay are giving quite the scare early on. France, though, hit back almost immediately, scoring from a five-metre scrum. Lovely sort of move to the right-hand side, and they crashed over. Uh, Uruguay, though, then had a, another try in the first half, ruled out for obstruction. Nice backline move off a line-out. It could have been a one-point ball game at the half. At halftime, France went in. In the lead, 13 points to five. But then 12 minutes into the second half, a massive shock. Arguably one of the biggest ever seen at a Rugby World Cup. Arguably, look, very much on the cards when Uruguay went over to make it 13-12. Oui, Echeverri, c'est bien joué avec... Attention, il est passé Oh, le deuxième essai 
Défense Française. Yeah, Baltazar Aimaya, what a great name. Scoring for Uruguay, 13 points to 12. And I must admit, the mood had switched amongst the French fans. They were nervous. The fingernails were being bitten. One uh, French fan uh, told me, looked me in the eye and said, this is France. We feel the pressure. And didn't they just? But unfortunately for Uruguay, uh, they conceded a very soft try almost straight after. I'll try and paint the picture. Uruguay's first five trying to clear his own 22. Kicked the ball into the bum of one of his own players. The ball then ricocheted backwards and the French pounced and scored from close range. But at 20 points to 12, as we entered uh, the final 10 minutes, Uruguay was still in with a chance. But after 73 minutes, the French right winger, one of our picks to click as far as breakout performer at this tournament, Louis Biel-Biari went in to make it safe. Novaka, François Cross. Arthur Vincent. Laissez-le bien gagner. Son premier essai en Coupe du Monde. Ce jeune homme de 20 ans qui soulage le 15 de France et va offrir une victoire bleue. 25 à 12 pour l'instant. Yeah, the relief palpable on that little commentary uh, clip from the local uh, uh, television uh, commentary crew. So there you have it. France pushed for very long periods by Uruguay, 27 points to 12. It was quite a day. Check out our social media accounts. We've tried to be able to paint the picture, give you some life of what it was like at that uh, fan zone. It was uh, a heck of an experience. A great game too, 27 points to 12. Uh, and we were able to, uh, you know, sidle up alongside uh, a number of fans from a number of countries with there was an, an Argentine uh, gentleman by the name of Ignacio who was there with seven mates and seven sons. Incredible stuff, including one of his mates was the great Ignacio Fernandez Lobe, who uh, played at three World Cups for Argentina. But we did find some friendly uh, faces and not so friendly faces. Let's uh, hear a few clips of some of those fans we spoke to last night. We're at the fan village here in Toulouse. Finding Kiwis can be reasonably difficult, but i got a strapping young man here. Tell us tell us your name, friend. Where are you from? Uh, Scott Pearson from uh, Manurewa, which is in counties. Counties country? Counties Manukau, yeah. Fresh off being in Canterbury. How good? I know. It was a good result come through overnight. What's your name, my friend? Peter. Peter Kinneru from Topol. Topol represent. You double park, Pete. Oh, you have to, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Keep busy, those lights can be big. So let's find out what the South African fans are feeling. I've got Devon yes, from Cape Town yes, sir. via Munich. Yes, sir, that's correct, yes. How did you end up there? Uh, well, I live and work in Munich, and I mean, France is but a stone's throw away, so I thought, let me come support my country in, in France for the World Cup. You must be pretty happy with how they're going. So far, so good. I mean, we've got a few games to go in the group stages. We've got Ireland coming up next. It's not too bad at the yeah. moment, eh? Yeah. Uh, not too bad. Um, well, we just heard the news about Malcolm Marks pulling out, and that's a big loss. Well, from, I mean, I'd rather be a South African than a Kiwi at the moment, eh? <laughs> Peter, how good has it been from a fan's perspective? It's been awesome. It's been bloody awesome. I've enjoyed my time. I've got a couple more days in France, then I'm off to Italy, go to Germany, catch up with the sister. Oh, Pete, what a trip, mate. You have to find some time to watch the wires, though, don't oh, no, you? No, no, you got to do that. got to do Up the wires. Absolute champ. Who we got here? Come on in. Hello, what's up, guys? What's your name? My name is Pierre. Pierre, where are you from? I come from France. I love France. I hope we will win the World Cup so much, guys. It's my dream. Yes. Definitely is my dream. 
wonderful, wonderful uh, night at the Fan Zone. Thank you to all of those fans who gave us some of their time. You are listening to Rugby World Cup today. Your thoughts always welcome. Double eight, double three. Fire in your text messages about what you saw last night and what you're thinking about the games ahead this coming weekend. Huge game. Australia, Fiji. All Blacks, of course, up against Namibia. This is Rugby World Cup today, brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Coming up after the break, it is Mr Andy Rowe, who fronts the behemoth, uh, the rugby pod. We look forward to catching up a Kiwi. Who I think, I think he's now a British citizen, so we'll tut-tut him on that. Andy Rowe is up next. Seventeen minutes after six o'clock. This is Rugby World Cup today, brought to you by Kubota Shaping and Building Australia and New Zealand. From a blurry-eyed to lose a blurry-eyed France after a late night watching Le Bleu struggle against a really impressive, industrious Uruguayan side. We talk more Rugby World Cup right now. I can't wait to welcome in our next best, our next guest. Rather, it's been a long time since I've heard his dulcet tones, and boy, does he have dulcet tones! A prolific podcaster these days, whether it's the Andy Rowe Show or his uh, fine, hugely popular rugby podcast, which is brilliantly named the Rugby Pod. Alongside uh, uh, him is uh, Andy Good, the former England international and the former Scottish international, uh, Big Jim Hamilton. I'm pretty sure Jim Hamilton's changed his name by Depol. It is officially Big Jim Hamilton. I can only be talking about Andy Rowe, who joins us on the programme. How you doing, friend? Mate, what an intro. I, that was unbelievable. That's the best intro I've ever had in my life. That is, <laughs> wow. I'm so much better for hearing you. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, well, I'm good. I'm How like, are you, mate? I'm in Marseille. Fantastic. Oh, you're in Marseille. Haven't got there, I must admit. A little bit disappointed I haven't got there. That looks like an amazing part of the world. I'm just having the time of my life, Andy. I'm having the time of my life. This tournament is rocking and rolling. And last night, you know, a game that many feared, oh, no, it's against a Minot. Oh, no, what a game of footy. Wow. Like, it was just, I was I was downtown for it in Marseille. And, you know, it was the first real taste. Oh, it was the first time I've come over to France since the World Cup started. And it's the first taste that I've had of how big of an event it is over here. You, people outside of it just can't understand. Like the, it is everywhere, and there are people all over the streets watching these games. And then the anthems go, the anthems start, and everyone, of course, the streets are erupting with the um, with the with the national anthem for France. And then silence, silence for like with with a couple of cheers <laughs> here and there, but. Pretty much the whole game, everyone's just sitting there going, "What is going on here? How how is this happening?" And uh, hell of a game, and you know, a couple of calls go, go the other way, and and France were like they were in real trouble, weren't they? Yeah, they really were. But you're so right. You paint a nice picture there about like literally every pub, restaurant, cafe, even the hipster corner of Toulouse had big screens out on <laughs> out on the street. God forbid I'd get that on Cuba Street from some of the hipster places for, for a big event. But you're right, like literally everyone is behind it. And do you know what struck me, Andy? It's the age groups. There's, you know, toddlers in, in prams being taken out to 11, 11.30 mm. at night. Everyone, every age group te- checked off. Yeah, it's a, it's a big social event, isn't it? Like, I, I when you say that, I was just thinking back to the, the groups that I saw out, and you had, you, you know, you had your you had your super fans that are dressed up as, as you would expect for a rugby game. But then you also had just a just a group of gals out, just just socialising, ha- having a having a meal, sitting down, and 
you know, you know, a group of four just just watching the rugby on as well. It's kind of like different groups of different people all just out there because that is the event and the rugby happens to be on as well. So it, it's it's a really cool atmosphere, really really interesting as well because it's not like yeah, it's not like everyone's a hundred percent like. French rugby fan, but they're all getting behind it and they're all getting involved and they're all going along and enjoying the atmosphere and the, and what's going on around it. It's awesome, eh? Like it's it's hard to describe to people that aren't here, but um, mate, Marseille, Marseille was kicking off last night. <laughs> apart from the game, <laughs> and now the um, over analysis will uh, roll on in French television. Every it's on three free to wear. Uh, providers for those back home in New Zealand on three mm. different channels, free to wear. They've got magazine shows every night, so they'll ha- they love a panel show in Europe, don't they? Absolutely love a panel show, they so do. they'll pour over this game ad nauseum. They probably won't talk enough about Uruguay. Gee, I found them enterprising, defensively, you know, physical, but they tried to use the ball. They, they were well worth um, uh, the attention and, and well worth plaudits today. Yeah, because you, we're starting to. Yeah, we've been hearing about the, the gap being closed for so long, haven't we? Like the tier two, yeah, tier four, they're probably tier five, but we've been hearing it for for years. And now you're starting to see like the the physicality of these teams are on par with most other teams because they're they you know they're fully professional and focused on getting ready for a World Cup and being able to play at that level. So their physicality is there, but the athletes are there. And now you're and, and now you're seeing the skill sets starting to come up to a point where they're able to compete in patches here and there with with the best teams. So they and, and the the way that they were playing with you know the physicality and then also the skill set and and putting it on it was, it was a bit it was like watching Chile the other day. You're just like, what, what, how where's this come from? And then you kind of look at it and go, well, actually, they're professional athletes. They should be they shouldn't be too far off the pace, if at all. And then the skill sets, once that comes into line, that's, that closes the gap again. And then the next thing, I guess, is the, the game understanding, game management and, and tactics. But um, it, the, it, it's really cool to see these teams, like, like Uruguay, like, um, like Chile, and, and hopefully, well, hopefully not too much from Namibia, but, um, <laughs> but the, these teams are now playing a style of rugby that it's good to watch. And you, you're thinking when you saw some of the matchups leading into this weekend, we, we're going to see one, two, maybe 300-point games. But it's it's just not the case, is it? Like the, the gap has closed. Put on your British citizen hat now. Congratulations on that, Andy. We will forgive you eventually, exactly. uh, one day. I'm just maybe, looking at my possibly. British passport right now. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's it looks, nice, looks nice, magnificent. Nice <laughs> We've got about five minutes, so it might, might be hard for you to really dig too deep in this, but England, really impressive win down to 14 men. Scotland tried hard against South Africa, but South Africa's defence looked immense. Wales playing the best game, arguably, of this tournament, so if, actually no, no doubt about it. Brilliant game against uh, Fiji, mm. and Ireland racking up huge numbers against Romania. They'll be sternly tested by, by Tonga, but you know the respective nations, what, what are people back home saying about them and... You know, how high are those expectations, I guess? England's expectations are through the roof now, aren't they? Of course they are. <laughs> but, so they've gone through this whole patch of, uh, under Steve Borthwick, who you know is a carbon copy of the way he coaches to Eddie Jones. And so we weren't expecting much of a change in the, the style that they played. And now they're, 
now they've gone through those warm up games where you kind of you were you're wondering whether you know they were it's like any athlete like you're not you're not going to be peaking physically you're going to be loading up physically like you're going to be loading up at training you're going to be doing a lot of work at training going to those warm up games and then you're trying to peak uh, like like any athlete would for the major tournament aren't you so you were kind of expecting England to come right, but they were just woeful leading into the World Cup. And now, now they've got here, now they seem to be all on the same page. And that performance again to win the other day with 14 men, my God, my goodness me. Like, you know, this is against Argentina, who, by the way, I've never seen play so badly in my life. Oh, but now, abject. now, yeah, it was just, oh, it was so disappointing, wasn't it? You were thinking, oh, here we go. This is more misery for England. This is great. It, 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 they, George Ford, not having Farrell in the team, seems to be a better player. Uh, where the the talk is now that you know Farrell has that kind of influence over the team. And and don't get me wrong, we're not saying that Farrell isn't one of the great players because he he really like he he's he's an incredible player. He's had an incredible career, but you just wonder sometimes if it's if he's there, can George Ford be free to play his game? And that's that's the question now that they're asking. It's like, well, how do you how do you bring Farrell back into the mix? How do you mm. how do you manage that? Because you've got a winning formula now. So, yeah. the, the, but the expectations are high for for England. That you know, they're, they're thinking if they can if they can play like that with fourteen men and. You know they've got they've only really got to play one good game of rugby to make the final. So they've oh, got that's to, scary. They've got <laughs> that's scary exactly. to think. But you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, and and it's similar for you know, for for Wales who have been awful. But like Wales will always be hard to beat. They 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 they're a team that can bang. They're a team that can tackle. They're a team that can hit. And they're a team that's organised. And if if they, if they and they're always going to be in good shape and well prepared from Warren Gatlin, and they're, they're a young side. But you know you're not you're not expecting them to go too deep in the competition. But you know you're expecting them to do better now than maybe what we were expecting them to do a couple of months ago. Uh, but and then Scotland, Scotland, poor Scotland. I mean, imagine having the greatest Scotland team ever, and ranked fifth in the world. You arrive at the World Cup, and you've got. South Africa, and you've got Ireland, the two best teams in the world, in your pool, and then just yeah. throw Tonga in the mix there. Like yeah, any team fun. that comes out of that, yeah, just just for like we'll, we'll just have an easy game against Tonga. What like on my days? So that's just what a horrific prospect. But so and, and 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 you know the feeling is even if they got out of that pool, you know any team that comes out of that pool, by the time they get to the quarterfinals, they're going to be so beaten up. You're starting to see that now with South Africa, with Marks going down. It's like, which is terrible for South Africa, terrible for Malcolm Marks. But yeah, it's that, that's the way that that pool was designed. Is you, you know, if you get out, you're not going to get out unscathed. And so, Scott, poor Scotland. But you know, that, that's not to say you know they don't they don't tend to go well against Ireland at all. So you know, the 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 history with them and Ireland is you know they're a team that sort of always struggles against Ireland. So. Um, you know, you'd think, you'd think that um, South Africa was the game that they really had to win. That they really had to tip up South Africa to get through. But they'll keep going. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, obviously you've got Ireland in there. So everyone's 
they've, they've been pretty quiet in the lead up, haven't they? So yeah, they're, they're sort they're of flying now under the fly. radar. They're yeah. sort of flying under the radar, um, which probably suits them. Um, and they'll be there towards the end. Hey, we've got to roll, Andy. Uh, can, can we get you back on later in the tournament, uh, especially after my wonderful introduction, right? I've pumped up your tyres enough. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you get your producer just to send me a copy of that? That's, I'm just going <laughs> to – it's my new ringtone. <laughs> Lovely to hear your voice, friend. It's been way, way too long. Keep up the great work. I really enjoy what you, Andy, and uh, Jim are doing, and yourself, mate. Cheers, uh, awesome stuff. Thanks so much for, for joining us back in little old Aotearoa. Go well, friend. Cheers, mate. And that is Andy Rowe from the Rugby Pod. Uh, great to get him back on the show, and we'll uh, book him again a little bit later in the tournament. All right, so let's get to our Rugby World Cup 2023 schedule with Kubota. Together we are shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Let's uh, bring up all the action uh, that we will provide you here on SENZ. Tomorrow morning, 6am, our coverage begins. Kickoff is at 7. It is New Zealand up against Namibia, of course. Stadium de Toulouse. Uh, join myself and Justin Marshall for the call of that one. We've got the big games covered for you this weekend. The biggest being, of course, Australia and and Fiji. 3.45 a.m. Monday morning kickoff. Join Sam uh, Hewitt and Steve Devine. They'll have the call from St. Etienne. Massive game. Massive game in that pool. We'll also then have uh, all the coverage from Nice. Stade de Nice. It will be England and Japan. Scotty Stevenson alongside uh, former All Black halfback and Strawn. That is your Rugby World Cup 2023 World Cup schedule coming your way with Kubota. Uh, Kubota shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Bang on half past six o'clock time to head to the news with Johnny Mack. We are utterly thrilled to welcome in a 70-test veteran for the All Blacks, one of the finest to pull on the number 10 jumper, and these days actually resides in France. Oh, he's a man of the people, he's the man of the world, Mr Andrew Mertens. I'm not even going to say bonjour, my French is hopeless, my friend, but how are you doing, mate? No, we've got plenty of time to work on it, don't we? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's like Groundhog Day, isn't it? I mean, we're only into the, the, the start of the second weekend. And already I'm hallucinating about the rugby, the tries, the functions, the events, the broadcasting. It's grueling. Seriously, I've always said if the player thinks if the player thinks it's tough at the World Cup, wait till they get to the afterlife and try and deal with this sort of a, a, an occasion over eight weeks. It's unbelievable. How are you enjoying life? Like literally old families over here. Yeah, well, we've been here since uh, about November last year when the tests were, were going on, and it's been fantastic. Um, you know, it's got differences. You can't come over and expect it to be New Zealand or expect it to be Australia or expect it really to be any kind of civilised country. <laughs> but um, it's, got, it's got pros and cons like every country. Uh, there's an administrative cluster that you have to go through to get into the system. Um, still working through that nine months down the track. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good living. They prioritise uh, life over work, which um, can be frustrating at times when you need something done, but uh, it's 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 great at all other times. And you know the number of cafes and restaurants around and, and things like that. Paris has been heaving for the last few months. It shut down over the summer, obviously, like the rest of France does for the for the summer holidays. But it has launched back into it for the World Cup. They that last week when they came back to work and and the World Cup was about to kick off, they embraced it. They're, there's just colour and vibe everywhere. It's fantastic. And they say that 50% of the French public 
um, there was a stat that they're going to watch a game, which is actually more than said they were going to watch at the Football World Cup. Rugby's always going to try and get those little things yeah. to say, hey, we're genuine, we're genuine. But it does sound really like the French are getting in behind it. And particularly, you know, unfortunately for us, that first result on opening night was a good one for the tournament and for yeah. France hosting it. Yeah, that's how I felt about it. We were here on, uh, for the whole week leading up to the opening game and there was high expectation from the French about their side. They get the result. I've never, I've, I've never met so many condescending French rugby fans in my life in the last week. Oh, you know, unlucky <laughs> guys. You'll be all right. You'll get through yeah. the group stage. <laughs> yeah, it makes you a bit wary, but uh, it's a bit unusual hearing kind of almost humility from even even going into that first game. They, they still don't want to get too much ahead of themselves. So, you know, I think that's a, a kind of fundamental shift in attitude towards the French team as well. I think the French team's attitude has, has fundamentally shifted over the last few years as well. There are things like things that were never considered French strengths. We always knew that they had flair and ability and, um, you know, keep the ball alive and suddenly loom up and support and the ability to turn on a performance out of nowhere. Even when, you know, they're, they're already performing badly in the game, they can just suddenly turn it on. Now, though, they've added fitness. They're going away in the second half. They did it against the Wallabies in their last hit out. They did it against the All Black going away. They've got some form of composure, consistency. They've got depth in their squad. Um, so there's good competition within the squad for places. But the little things of the, the, I think their growing maturity was, was shown like, for example, I think the lead up to uh, Pino's try or one of the tries was Bowden Barry got the ball deep, got it kicked back to him. He was counter-attacking and he had about four All Black players in support. Normally that is absolute bread and butter for the All Blacks just to carve up a team off counter-attack. The French initially only had three defenders. And normally, again, you'd expect the French to just fly up and try and bluff their way through it, and, and you'd be able to pick them off in their defence. But they didn't. They waited until they had numbers there. They just shadowed across. Bowden Barrett ended up having no options around him, ended up taking the ball into contact, turnover, French score. And that, to me, was a, a massive difference in probably what we would have seen in the past between these two teams. Hey, we, we, I think us as New Zealand rugby fans have always f had the fear factor. The French, you know, you've seen it up close and personal when they get their tails up. You, you, you can't, you can't resist them in some ways. But I'm more fearful of them. And I, I told uh, your BBC colleague uh, Sarah Orchard this when she chatted to me prior to the opening game. That you add in structure, you add in the, the structure they've got. They, they just look the real deal. Um, but there's a few teams looking like the real deal, which makes it such an awesome tournament. South Africa it looked like they had the Scotland playbook, didn't they? They knew exactly was what was coming and um, a defensive masterclass. I know it's not every New Zealand rugby fans, um, you know, wish, but geez, South Africa, they're going to take a hell of a lot of beating. Absolutely. They were their own worst enemy against Scotland as well. I mean, the score looked reasonably close compared to what the actual game appeared like. They, they had Scotland's measure pretty comfortably and I think for them coming down off that good performance at Twickenham against the All Blacks would probably be hard for them to get that same kind of level of, of motivation activation because they'd come off a bad rugby world uh, rugby championship so they had plenty of spice in there when they played the All Blacks so you know tough to recreate that two weeks on um, but they will be very very dangerous here they had they had easily it was a bit dis disappointing I think for Scotland because you know they've got high hopes they've obviously got a really tough pool they need to beat one of those those two more highly ranked teams in, in South Africa and Ireland. And they would have thought this was a, a, a great chance, but they did come up short. Um, and yeah, South Africa, very, very impressive. But, you know, that whole first weekend was awesome. Hard to, hard to gauge, hard to compare South Africa, for example, against Ireland. Ireland, yeah. 
ran pretty rampant over Romania. It doesn't help a team a hell of a lot doing that. So uh, it'll be a lot more interesting this weekend when they come up against Tonga. But Ireland really looking good. The worry for me with Ireland is that people have not stopped talking about them, but they're talking a lot more about world champion South Africa, host nation France who's looking good. There's always chat about the All Blacks. It's like Ireland, and now with England going better and, and dumping Argentina, there's talk about England as well. So it's almost like the, the discussion, the, the chat on Ireland has diminished slightly, which is great for the team because you can come into the World Cup and just go about your business without all the noise that the other teams have got. They'll be incredibly dangerous. They're a hell of a team. To the All Blacks, what did you make of the starting lineup? Uh, I always find it difficult. How do you slice these games? You've got two weeks off after this. You've only got three games, two against sides they really should romp past. I think Italy will probably, you know, be, you know, be a tough nut to crack, but I still assume New Zealand will win that game. You know, would you want, I think Justin Marshall said he play your best team from here and now. So here's another opportunity for you to tell Marshy he's absolutely mad. <laughs> No, I never would. I couldn't afford to back throughout my career because he wouldn't pass me the damn ball um, if I argued with him. But I think I think the All Black back line was pretty much the, the strongest they could. It's funny now because, you know, you talk about the starting 15. That's not how teams and coaches look at it either. They just look at the 23 on the day. And sometimes I'm sure they work, well, probably most of the time they work backwards. Who are the guys we want to finish on the field with at the end of the match? That means where do we start? So that 1-23 to 23 or the 1-15 to 15 is less important now. But I thought it was the, probably the strongest back line we had available. Um, there's a case for Geordie Bowen. Obviously, I've always been a massive fan of Anton Leonard-Brown because he can play at 12 and 13. Um, but I thought that back line was probably a, a, about the strongest we could get. Um, the forward back still maybe a little bit of tweaking. Obviously, Retallick didn't start. Frizzell wasn't available. I thought Frizzell might have made a difference up on the line um, when we were on the French line early in the in, in the first half and probably could have done with the points. We got that great early try to Talia, but when we were knocking on the on the door right on the line for a long period of time, that's where a Frizzell would probably be helpful combining with Aaron Smith. They've just got that understanding and, you know, punching through. He either punches right through and scores or he drags in three or four defenders just desperate to make the tackle, and they're now taken out of the game, so it frees up elsewhere. Scott Barrett can do that a little bit as well in a slightly different way, but we, we just needed maybe another option there just to be able to pierce that defensive line because the French are very, very good around the fringes across the field, but particularly when they get you know hard on their own line. So I think in the forwards, maybe there's still a little bit of jostling, but I thought that back line was pretty good. The shame of it was, I mean, every time we saw Rico Yolani get the ball, he was lightning. He is electric and he is dangerous. And it would just be great to see him get the ball more often, you know. Well, I think when there's when there's a turnover or when there's a kick put down, I think the sooner we get it to Rico Yolani, the better, and get running off him more often because so many times he just gets the ball expected to do something and he's got the defensive line on him already and you know he's three or four steps he shows what he can do if he had eight or nine steps to really really ramp up the speed then uh, it'd, it'd be absolutely lethal i think we saw that in the opening what 30 seconds when he came off the long run it was like a you know a west indian fast bowler from the 1980s wasn't it it was like coming pushing, pushing from <laughs> absolutely charging in uh, well, yeah, good action. Perfect. That would swing away nicely at 150 clicks. Um, before yeah. we move off the ABs, what, what are the areas you're most concerned about as far as their style of play, uh, areas of the field, so on and so forth? Well, I think probably just down in the 22. I mean, we, we got down there easily enough, really not easily, obviously. They, they worked hard for it, but they got down there simply enough into in the first half. And I think just, just getting those points, just punching across the line, but it's easier said than done. I mean, the defences are pretty... Uh, 
are pretty sophisticated. Um, I think just maybe a little bit more, um, a, a few more guys running sort of different options, but that's easier said than done as well because, you know, you expend all this energy running a different line, even as a dummy line and, and not get the ball. You know, you can't keep that up for 80 minutes. But what I would like to see is, Maybe a little more, uh, a little, a little more creativity, a little more working off the the ball carrier, giving them a few more different options. I mean, it used to be, uh, again, something that was our strength. I know that defensive lines are coming up much more quickly than they used to, but that used to be something that we thrived on in the All Blacks. I'm not talking about we, me. I'm talking about in the, in the 2011, 2015 sort of era. The faster teams came up on defence, the easier you can pick them off. You know, because they give you an option, they give the attack an option when you when you fly up like that. So, provided you've got the players in the right space and you've got good communication, you can get the ball to that. And I don't think we're doing that as well as we perhaps used to. You know, I think we're doing our build up pretty well. It's going through the hands through Moronga. He's hitting the guys that he wants to hurt. They're, they're, they're getting through that pretty well. But it's when I think the game breaks up after that three or four phases that we need maybe a little bit more rather than guys perhaps looking for what the structure is going to be. So, you know, there's there's a delicate balance between the structure and the heads up and you can't play heads up all the time because you just waste your energy. But I think maybe that, that side of our game needs to come up a little bit while we've got the ball. We're, we're pretty good normally at, at latching onto it with a turnover or a counterattack, apart from that example that I mentioned. Um, so I think maybe just recreating that kind of a feel once we're four or five phases in, um, just to just to keep the, the defence guessing, because at the moment they're getting a bit of a read on us. Last one. Um, the second round of games are upon us. I, I cannot wait. Australia-Fiji. It, it really is the, the game of the weekend, isn't it? So much at stake for Fiji. That, that pull we, we thought and pondered prior to the tournament, it could deliver. Wales-Fiji was just an electric game of rugby. Can, can the flying Fijians... Get up and actually do this? Yep, of course they can. Um, they will have taken a lot out of that game. Wales played pretty well. I was impressed with how Wales have played. I think that's the best they've played in some time. Um, they, they they at least got the ball to their attacking uh, geniuses, you know, the likes of Liam Williams or Reese Samet, um, those sort of players. So getting the ball in their hands, they did well to do that, and they looked dangerous again, which is nice to see from Wales. But Fiji, after being rocked back a little bit, the, the way they came storming back was sensational. If they take that and apply it with some confidence to the game against Australia. Of course, the Wallabies, I mean, the Wallabies, it looks like a good victory maybe over Georgia. Georgia was very disappointed with their game. They feel like they blew their opportunity to, to really get in and set, set a standard at the World Cup. Um, so I think they were they were disappointed in Australia you know, got on the front foot early and, and scored some points, which knocked the, the Georgian confidence a bit. I don't think it was a comprehensive performance from Australia. I think they they know they've got a lot of work to do, and I think that it's a, a different kettle of fish against a team that can attack you from anywhere like Fiji. So, yeah, can't wait for Sunday. A couple of games before them that might be interesting, which will be Japan, England. Before the tournament, you might have said, <laughs> based on current form, Japan's uh, a good shot to, to upset there. Not so sure that's the case now, but then again, England's pretty erratic at the moment, so you never know if they have an off game and Japan's on, what can happen? And then Ireland Tonga obviously will be an interesting one to yeah. see how Ireland face a different threat this time. But then it all culminates on, yeah, Sunday evening down in uh, St. Etienne. Brilliant. Well, thanks for filling us in, Mertz. We, we feel humbled <laughs> now, having listened to that, my man. Uh, wonderful to see you. Go well, and we'll hopefully uh, catch up with you real soon. You can go away and spend four hours editing that now, sorry. You've got plenty of material. <laughs> Only took Logan 16 hours to edit Mertens down. <laughs>
He's great fun, Don't isn't be he? like that. No, no. That, oh, that was, I was throwing stones at Mertz there, not you, my friend. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> what a great guy. So much energy, so much life. Uh, Andrew Mer- Merton's former All Black great there, of course, uh, who's living in France these days, working for the BBC throughout this tournament. And he's having the time of his life. Don't wear the light blue shirts, though, Mertz. Don't wear the light blue shirts. It is 14 minutes away from 7 o'clock. This is Rugby World Cup today, brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Gee, we've had a busy show, haven't we? We'll be back with our final thoughts after the short break. Nine minutes away from 7 o'clock. This is Rugby World Cup today. We'll go inside the Namibian camp ahead of the Test match against uh, the All Blacks shortly. But let's get to our breakout performance based on last night's game between France and Uruguay. It is with the Breakout River Meets. 100% Australian meat proudly produced from Cowra, New South Wales. All right, uh, producer Brad. Uh, no, you keep mm. a close eye on this uh, one. Who did you like on that French side? Yes, I said Andrew Mertens. I still believe they are the real deal. They made 12 changes to that team last night. So there is a big asterisk on the score scoreline you could argue who stood out excuse me for not knowing any of the names but he played against the All Blacks I thought he was sensational but the backup hooker wearing number 16 for me was sensational he made such an impact in the half an hour he was on the field yeah Uh, he came on against the All Blacks very early on when they when they when they had an injury he's a powerhouse you are talking about Beato Muvaka of course I am Daniel yes yeah yeah he's quite the unit yeah, he offers them a really good one-two punch at hooker too because their starting hooker is a great player as well, but unfortunately got injured, so yeah. Well, Muvaka last night also scored one of the French tries against the Uruguay, so uh, he is our breakout performance with Breakout River Meats, 100% Australian meat, locally produced from Kara, and only found at your local independent butcher. Let's go inside the uh, Namibian camp. Uh, they went down heavily against Italy first time up at this uh, tournament, now taking on the All Blacks, and the challenge the All Blacks they pose, quite significant. Let's hear from uh, their assistant coach, uh, Baron Peterson, who spoke about uh, their preparations and how much time they've sent on set on set piece after battling in that phase against Italy. Yeah, we had to look that that's a big uh, it was an area of concern for us. Um, and I think going into the World Cup, we always knew that that is an area where, where teams will try and put us under pressure. Um, but um, again, with with the quality of players we have, um, I think we. We, we did a good job in, in containing them, and um, I think there's one once or twice a small little detail that, that, that we didn't do, that we wanted to do, um, and that's what we uh, did during this week. Um, yeah, I think in the New Zealand team, I think pretty much everyone is a threat, <laughs> so especially the team they chose, it's a very good team. But um, again, I mean, we can, we can just stick to, to what we, we trained, stick to our system, stick to our process. And um, look, again, we, we have to handle whatever they throw to us. Doesn't, might it be in the set piece or in general play? We know they're a team that would like to play fast. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we, we must be able to handle that. And when it comes to that physicality, I think rugby is obviously it's a physical game. Doesn't matter who you play against. Um, but again, as a, as a Namibian team or Namibian nation, I think we do pride ourselves on our physicality and we do pride ourselves in, in, a, in a good set piece. And I think that is what we, that is what we want to show. Baron Peterson, the assistant coach of Namibia. That was Rugby World Cup today for today, brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. Huge thanks to Andrew Murphy, Andy Rowan, my amazing production team.